When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Lamarise and Scott Patsko. Scott feels like some consternation in Brownsland this week. It is interesting. I think it's certainly new for the Kevin Stefanski era, but this is what happens uh, when you have expectations, and this is what happens when. Not everything is going perfectly in regards to those expectations. Do you feel that? Do you feel a little edge to things? Yeah, it's, I don't know. When you get in these losing streaks, you just, it reminds you of, you know, my first few years on the beat and the Browns, you know, every week you're hearing the same things. You know, we, we know what we got to do. We can fix it. We're going to fix it. And then it's not fixed. And there's only so much you can say, you know, in interviews and, after the last two games and when you combine it with some of the struggles earlier in the season, you know, some guys are repeating themselves. Fans don't want to hear it. And yeah, it's just a kind of a cycle, but you know, one win changes everything. I think it does. And I do think the difference of the past is there is an underlying talent level that wasn't here before that. I think a lot of times when there were issues in the past, you knew people were faking it because it's like, Oh, we're going to say, are you though? Are you though? You don't have enough good players to do the thing that you say you're going to do this time. They do have enough good players. And on this, got to watch the tape. We're going to focus on the pass defense and they have good players to defend the pass. They do. I don't know that they have, well, we know they don't, they don't have all pros in the whole back seven, but I do think they have guys who can and have in the past and should in the future play better than they have the last two weeks. So that's what you're going to dive in on. You've got a lot of numbers and facts about this past defense that certainly has given up a lot to Justin Herbert and Kyler Murray the last two weeks. Not the same kind of test coming Thursday night, but still they got to get it fixed. And then you'll look ahead at some of the good news, bad news stuff that we're going to do here at the end of got to watch the tape as, uh, as we move forward here. I also did a breakdown of sort of what I thought were the six biggest breakdowns in the past defense from the Arizona game. So I have a a little to contribute. I will say, and it's odd, I have seen on Twitter, Scott, some of the things that other people have said, things like, you know, they're not even in the same book, much less on the same page and that kind of thing. I actually thought in rewatching it, it wasn't as bad as it felt in the moment because there were a couple critical times when they gave stuff up, but they weren't just getting smoked every down. I mean, they really weren't. And this is against a quarterback that might be the MVP. I think Colin Murray is 20 of 30. It was not just like incessant. We have no idea how to stop this team. It was a lot of long completions on third down. To start the second half, they forced two straight three and outs and then gave up like a critical third down conversion on a pass that was way too easy. But there were moments when it worked. And so I do think we are perhaps in some overreaction mode that, of course, it was not good. I don't think it was absolutely disastrous. And I'll I'll just say... uh, I tried a little bit to sort of ask, and I had a question for John Donson this week. I didn't get called on on Monday, but I did get an Anthony Walker question. And here's the thing, Scott. Guys talk about communication breakdowns and right what's going on. There is a difference between the team as a whole not being on the same page and like multiple guys sort of not knowing their responsibility on a play and like one dude blowing a coverage. And I think it was a little bit more of one dude blowing a coverage. Ronnie Harrison blew his coverage on the DeAndre Hopkins pass in the end zone. That's a cover two look. John Johnson has deep safety on one side of the field. Clearly Ronnie Harrison supposed to be the deep safety in that area. And he just got sucked up on a crossing route. He was undisciplined. He got fooled by his eyes. 
John Johnson himself was saying, you can't let crossing routes in front of you take you out of your zone. It wasn't like nobody knew what they were doing. Ronnie Harrison blew his assignment. So next week on Thursday, Ronnie Harrison, don't blow your assignment there. But I I don't think that's like, well, this is a clueless defense, right? They knew what it was. And it was one guy on one play doing a bad thing. Now, there were a couple guys. There were more than one play. Hey, then on this play, this guy screwed it up. But on this play, this guy screwed it up. I get it. But it's not like a – I didn't think it was a comedy of errors, Scott. I no. thought it was individual moments and individual guys at the wrong time maybe screwing some stuff up. Yeah, there hasn't been a point this season where I thought it was just like, you know, incompetence. And this team was just did not have the kinds of players you need on the field. That's – what you alluded to before last year in the year before, you know, years prior when you knew that the talent was not there, no matter what they did, they were still going to struggle. That's not this group because they have done it before. They just haven't done it all together here. Uh, They are all those third downs and they're not great on third downs getting off the field, but just like last year, they're really good at creating third downs. Like the Browns are are among the, the best defenses in the league of forcing teams into third down. It's just they're not as good getting off the field. So you keep getting in those situations, and, and I think you're right that it's it's a breakdown here and a breakdown there, crucial moments. And it's just it just keeps happening. And yeah. it's you know, it's not a teams are just throwing through them and the Browns can't stop anybody because this team has made this defense has made big stops. The secondary has made big plays. It's just a consistency thing and falling apart at the wrong time. And I do think you've made some good points about, I think they over blitzed against Kyler Murray. And, and at times there was one in particular that to me was like, Hey, the whole thing of the Browns was like, let's get some fast guys in space so we can, you know, stop offensive skill players in space. And they had a play where I think they blitzed Troy Hill, Grant Delpit and Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa on the same play. And it's like, those are the three guys that you want in space defending on this why are they (laughs) blitzing what are you doing and nobody got there nobody got there and it's like the whole point and now jok being out is an issue but the whole point is like we want fast talented guys tracking people down and tackling them short of the third down marker why are you rushing seven people and leaving open areas when you have miles garrett and jadavion Clowney? so i thought there were a couple moments like that scott yeah, and I mean, look, you got to try blitzes sometimes, but you're right. Kyler Murray has been really good against the blitz this season, and I think uh, he threw his fifth touchdown against the blitz against the Browns. Uh, no interceptions this year when blitz. So, but you still have to. I mean, you can't. It's a lot to ask to just not to just go with four against someone like that, and yeah. especially somebody who's so good at stepping up and avoiding pressure. You know, you ask your secondary to cover for a long time. I don't care how good they are. It's it's a tough ask. All right. So that's some underlying stuff. I just I don't I'd like to turn the flame down a little bit. We'll see. I, I want to I'm curious about your numbers here. But my read was turning the flame down a little bit on the the oh, no, their defense stinks conversation. Let's see where the numbers take us. Scott Pasco, dive in. I've got to watch the tape. All right, so I was on Twitter Sunday night, and I happened to see a reply to a story I wrote after the game about the Browns' defense. I wrote about you know all the issues they had against the Cardinals, and there was one reply uh, that really stuck in my head uh, over the next day or so, and it, it, I think it directly led me to this dive that I'm going to do on the pass defense. And it was because it was insightful, it was thoughtful, and you don't really get that on Twitter very much. The, the reply simply read, quote, I thought it was Sandejo's fault. End quote. And that just that just stuck with me. I checked. It was not Andrew Sunday who sent it. I mean, it could have been a burner account. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Could have been his but, agent or his mom. Yeah. I think if it was Sandejo, though, he like he probably should have tweeted that Kermit the Frog meme sipping tea. You know, Oh right. I think yeah. if he done that over the last few games, he probably would have gotten away with it. Is but, that uh, what people do, though, when something sucked that you were a part of and it still sucks? You sip tea. I guess yes. that's right. Like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. If, if people think that you were the problem. Right. I guess basically is, is what you would do. So maybe, maybe whoever tweeted that should have included that meme. but by the way, Sandejo, uh, and I, he doesn't seem to have a Twitter account, but there are accounts for Andrew Sandejo's arms 
like the cover photo is him like doing curls. I don't, maybe that was a thing like back when he was in Minnesota and then Andrew Sandejo sucks. That was a Twitter account that was started in January of this year. So a little late to the party, but um, yeah, I thought I, deac- are... I thought I deactivated that account. That was still <laughs> yes. I think we might've started a few Twitter accounts last season uh, through got to watch the tape. That's for sure. Um, anyways, the, the big picture question here that I'm getting to is, uh, like how much, if at all, is this year's past defense better or worse than last year? And I want to start by pulling back a little bit and looking at the defense as a whole, and then we'll get to some specific players. <clears throat> um, if you're into traditional counting stats, we'll start with that. Uh, the Browns have actually only given up the 11th most passing yards this season, 220 per game. That's down from last year. They were almost at 250. Um, and they're, they are giving up touchdowns at a higher rate. They have 14 so far, so they're almost halfway to last year's total of 31. Uh, for the rest of the song, I'm going to use some football outsiders data here because I think it measures teams and players better, uses a league baseline to kind of uh, measure everybody. So for like for full team and offense, defense, stuff like that, I think it works better than like PFF grading, which, you know, you could have a bunch of guys who played six snaps, but did awesome in coverage and it, you know, might, kind of boost you up a little higher than, than what you should be. So anyways, total DVOA. Last year, the Browns ranked 25th. Uh, and if you want to go by pass direction, deep passes were an issue. They ranked 28th in DVOA on deep passes. And I think we all remember those passes. This year, they're ranked 20th in DVOA, so they've moved up. However, DVOA is a percentage. And this year, the Browns' pass defense DVOA is 17.3%. That means they're 17.3% worse than the average pass defense. If it was a negative number defensively, that means it would be better for the defense. So they are below the league average. Last year, while they ranked lower overall at 25th, they were only 16.4% worse than the average defense. So they're kind of in the same ballpark. You know, they're ranked higher, but they're, they're a little further away from the from the average performance of a pass defense. And as far as those deep passes go, the Browns rank 30th in DVOA this year. Really? They're they're almost 30 percentage points farther from the league average than they were last year. And, you know, when you think about it, you you remember the Travis, uh, the the Tariq Hill, you know, pass, you remember uh, the big ones to uh, the Chargers had. Yep. Uh, You had some long ones this Past Sunday, uh, the one with 33, 34 yards, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Yep. You know, those blown coverages, they add up. Um, as far as specific assignments go, like covering specific types of receivers, Football Outsiders also breaks down as DVOA by type of receiver. It's, they have number one receiver, number two receiver, and other receivers. Uh, they also track coverage against tight ends. And they admit that it's kind of subjective on who the quote-unquote number one or number two receivers are, but we're going to assume they're close enough. And here's, here's where the Browns land with that last year against the number one receiver, the Browns ranked fourth in DVOA. So congratulations, Denzel Ward this year, they ranked 26th. So Denzel Ward, please call your office. (laughs) We'll we'll get into Ward and other specific players a bit later, but it's not hard to draw the line from those rankings. to the Browns top cornerback, even though we know that he's not always on that person, it's still obviously a big part of, of his responsibility. Uh, against number two receivers, the Browns were 18th last year. They're 20th this year. Against other wide receivers, and this includes slot guys, they ranked 30th last year. So that's uh, that's Kevin Johnson, MJ Stewart, Tavier Thomas, those guys covering in the slot last year and in the middle of the field. This year, the Browns are 15th. And Troy Hill, obviously, is the one providing the, the bulk of the coverage. So much better. And then tight ends. Last year, they ranked 28th. And that's largely linebackers and safeties, guys covering uh, in the middle of the field, closer to the line of scrimmage. This year, they've gone all the way up to 13th. And again, that's an area where I think the Browns really expected to improve with the additions they made at linebacker and safety and the coverage ability of those guys. So through six, six games, the Browns have given up the fewest receptions to tight ends of any team in the league, just 16. And I, I can't imagine the last time that's happened because they've always ended like over the last decade, they've almost always been in the top five or at least the top 10 in passes to tight ends and yardage and touchdowns. Now, they haven't played many impactful tight ends this year through six weeks outside of Travis Kelsey. They've only faced 29 targets, which ranks 29th, but it's still a good sign. They gave up three touchdowns and two of those were to Kelsey in week one. They're going to see some much better tight ends here uh, moving forward. They still got the Ravens twice. 
So, but that's a good start. And at least that's an area that they thought they were going to improve in. And it's an area that they have improved in. Uh, down in distance. Last year, the Browns ranked 29th in DVOA when teams passed on third or fourth down. That helped make them 26th on all third down and fourth down in long situations. Yeah. I'm sure fans remember how difficult it was for the Browns to get off the field. We mentioned it off the top here. Third down was just a problem. They converted. Teams were making it 45% of the time. Only seven teams were worse at getting off the field last year than the Browns. This year, they have fallen to 30th in DVOA. Uh, I knew that was going to be bad. I knew that was going to be bad. On third and fourth down. They've also gotten farther away from the league average. They're going from 28.8% below the league average to 55.7 below. So just going down that that one spot, um, it's really more than that because it's you're getting farther away from what every other team is doing on average. So, And the Browns have the fifth worst third down percentage on defense at 45%. So it's the same as last year percentage-wise as far as opponents converting third downs, but not as many teams are that bad this year. The Browns still are. It Browns also ran- Go ahead. It just stood out so much. It just stood out oh, so yeah. much against Arizona. It was what were they I think it was Arizona a five of five or something to start the game. Like they just they just marched and converted every single time and not easy. I think it was when the game mattered, because they had a couple of things at the end. I think they were nine of 14 on third downs when the game mattered. Six of the nine they completed by passing the ball. And five of those six were like seven yards or more. Like it was repeatedly long and repeatedly converted through the pass game. Oh, yeah. And they, I, I wrote down in my notes, um, they were five of seven by the time they got the 23 to seven lead on third downs. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was a big, that was a big issue. Uh, the Browns have also struggled in the red zone. They ranked 29th, they ranked 29th in DVOA and defending the pass in the red zone, almost 70 percent below the league average last season they ranked 11th and were above the league average by almost 10 percent so again another big difference and then finally explosive plays those throws of 20 or more yards downfield last year the browns gave up the fourth highest percentage of explosive plays in the league giving them up on eight percent of their total pass plays they were tied with 13 other teams at eight percent though and there were 12 other teams that landed between nine and eleven percent. So the Browns were pretty much middle of the pack on explosive plays, even though that percentage was was near the top. This year, the Browns are tied for fifth highest percentage of explosive plays, eleven percent of their total. There are seven other teams with them at eleven percent, but there's only four teams worse. So they've moved a little further away from the average, and they're giving up more. And again, those are those long passes that we've that we mentioned earlier, Tyreek Hill and. Mike Williams, stuff like that. So they've shifted from the middle of the pack to the bottom third and defending explosive play. So to recap, because I know I threw a lot out there, outside of coverage against slot receivers and tight ends, the Browns' pass defense is the same or much worse in most areas than it was last season. Either way, that's not good. We're only six games in, and the Browns have played four of the better pass offenses in the league. Like the Chiefs and the Cardinals are both ranked top five. And passing DVOA, the Vikings are eighth. The Chargers are 13th, but they were much higher before they lost to the Ravens uh, this past week. So I guess it's been bad, but the schedule has kind of been front loaded with with tough tests for a defense that's still trying to figure things out. And I think I don't think that's an excuse. I think that is a reality, right, that they got. Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, and Justin Herbert. And again, it wasn't, they didn't, they didn't get smoked for 375 by Kyler Murray, right? That, but it was critical plays, but it's Kyler Murray. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. And Herbert did, Herbert then came back and was not good at Baltimore. That I don't think they got a plus Herbert, but they got pretty good Herbert. And some of the stuff I thought it happened at least a couple times. I thought it happened on, on an early third down conversion. I think it might've been their first third down conversion of the game uh, through the air, at least because they had that 40 yard run. They gave up yeah. their first conversion through the air. They got pressure. Murray stepped up in the pocket and you could see the way he stepped up and what he was doing with himself. The Browns were in a zone where they kind of had stuff kind of covered And Murray, with the threat he was on the run, he sort of moved Ronnie Harrison 
a little bit to the side and then threw back to the middle. And there was a nice open lane in the middle there. And I, I, a lot of that, I think you have to chalk up to Kyler Murray. He's so dangerous. I thought he stepped up really well. Even the first touchdown, it was he created by escaping pressure, getting to his left, and then making a nice throw to the corner of the end zone that, again, is like, okay, you could see where the Browns could have had better coverage there, but some of it was like, well, I'll, I'll tip my cap to Kyler Murray on that. And I think there's the, and it's not an excuse for a pass defense, Scott, but I think there's a pass defense in structure and then a pass defense out of structure. And once Kyler Murray escapes pressure or steps up or slides out of the pocket and starts doing stuff, they weren't yet in scramble drill mode, right? It wasn't Mm -hmm. like every man for himself, but it was a defense all of a sudden having to account for Kyler Murray, the runner and the passer at the same time. And this is a little bit of what separates a guy like Kyler Murray and a guy like Lamar Jackson from a guy like Baker Mayfield. Because when Baker Mayfield steps up, he doesn't scare a defense. He might do something, but the defense is not immediately on edge. You're immediately on edge when Kyler gets out of the pocket. And then all of a sudden, you're trying to stick to your responsibility in your zone or stick with your man. But you're looking at least out of the side of your right, like, is this guy going to take off? And it throws things off. And And I chalk some of that up to that's why the guy's an MVP candidate. So some of the, some of the plays that were not great Sunday, Scott, I'm not freaking out about as much because I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to do that. I don't think Ben Roethlisberger is going to do that. I don't think Derek Carr is going to do that. Not the same way, but you could just see Kyler's presence taking defenders out of their area a little bit. And then he makes you pay. Yeah. If you move up in the pocket, like he did and, you have like a good 10 yards in front of you of open field. That's, that's, that's a tough spot for a defender because you're kind of almost hoping he runs because then maybe you can meet him halfway, right. but he's standing, you know, there and there's the decision has to be made. And, you know, suddenly you're paying more attention to him than you were a few minutes ago when he was in the pocket. Um, yeah, that's, that's rough. And you're right about Baker being different. It seems Baker, when he gets out of the pocket, there is somebody chasing him when, Kyler Murray stepped up in the pocket against the Browns. He had time. He had a lot of room around him. There weren't guys immediately breathing down his neck. Uh, so moving up or moving out of the pocket and then having time to, to look around and not, not having someone diving for your legs and stuff. There's a big difference there. And it was he's smart not to run and then just, you know, use that time and the space to, to find the open guy. He's an, he's an excellent player. And re- watching him when he does that, it's almost when he does that, it's almost like, man, I've, it was kind of good. He didn't do that every single snap because it feels like he he kind of has the defense on a string at times when he's yeah. that, you know, if he escapes that initial rush. You know what? We're you're going to start breaking stuff down kind of by new guys and old guys, <laughs> but let's do this first. Let's take a quick break. I got to watch the tape, and we'll dig into that next. Doug and Scott, we know you're reading all of our Browns coverage at cleveland.com slash Browns, and we are oh so grateful for that. We know a lot of you are Browns insiders, which means you get our tech subscription. You get our extra newsletter item every day. You can go to cleveland.com slash Browns and sign up there. I think it's a great value for people, especially here in the heart of football season, especially at a time when you really might even have more questions. I'm not saying it's like, oh, cool, the Browns are three and three. Everybody's freaking out. Let's sell more subscriptions. But I do think there are times like this when – I know for the things that I love, if it's smooth sailing, it's like, cool, I get it. And sometimes if it's a little bumpy, you want, you're like, well, what's happening? And hopefully that's where we can step in and help explain some of that stuff with Mary Kay Cabot and Dan Lobby and Scott Pasco and Terry Pluto and me. So um, it's just a great time for you guys to try that out. All right. New guys. John Johnson, the third Grant Delpit, Troy Hill, a lot of new guys here. And as you said, Scott, it was sort of like, well, you get rid of Zendejo, you get rid of Carl Joseph, you get rid of uh, Terrence Mitchell, right? You get rid of, and, and then boom, magic. All these new guys are better than the old guys. Are they better than the old guys, Scott? How are the new guys doing? All right. This defense was expected to improve just by new talent coming in. You're right. All those guys you mentioned, BJ Goodson, moving him out and, and getting someone else in. New players, better talent. Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, and Ronnie Harrison have been the only consistent starters held over from last season. So we'll start in the back with John Johnson, the third, he was the big free agent signing uh, expected to solidify the safety spot. 
which was really a problem area with, like you said, with Sandejo and Joseph. Um, so far this season, <clears throat> JJ3 ranks 23rd among Browns, deep, Browns in defensive grade, 53.4. Only two regular starters rank below him, who we'll, we'll get to. Um, he's played well against the run, 71.1 grade. He's got the second worst coverage grade on the team, 48.6. And that's what we're going to focus on here. Uh, he's been tagged for two touchdowns. He's largely been the mouthpiece, uh, having to explain what's going on in the back of the defense every week. Uh, we don't really hear from Ronnie Harrison that much or, you know, Delpit as much, but um, John Johnson III has brought up communication issues. He's brought up technique and basically said more or less, everybody's got to start doing their job. Um, his job though has changed a lot from last season when he was with the Rams. He's been the deep safety on more than 80% of his snaps this season. That was not his role. For the Rams, he was more diverse. He was 40% in the box, 34% as deep safety, 23% in the slot. Uh, It's changed. He was asked about that this this week. And, you know, he basically said, this is the role I was given and I have to do it to the best of my ability. He's, you know, not really using that as a, as any sort of excuse for how he's played or how the defense has played. So there's that. Uh, Anyway, JJ3 graded above 80 in everything, but pass rush last season for the Rams um, he's far from that this season. In fact, he's closer to where Carl Joseph and Sadejo were last season. Joseph graded 48.4 in coverage. That's a, pretty much exactly where Johnson is right now. Sandejo was at 40.9. So maybe he shouldn't have tweeted out the Kermit the Frog meme. He is quite a bit lower. But um, still, it's in the same ballpark. John Johnson has not been the same player. But I guess you have to kind of gauge how much of that is not just learning a new defense, but also kind of having a different role than what he had last season. Uh, Grant Delpit, uh, another guy who I know he was here last year, but he didn't play. We don't have last season to compare him to, but it's worth noting that he was considered one of the best coverage safeties in the draft two years ago. Um, He's grading at 39.3 in coverage, the worst on the team. His overall defensive grade is 42.1. Again, worst on the team. And And he barely played against Arizona. He only played nine snaps against Arizona. Yeah. I think we need to cut him some slack because this is basically his rookie season. Yeah. Uh, you remember Mac Wilson, his rookie year. JOK is, he's a rarity as far as how fast he had gotten out of the gate as a rookie, but not all rookies, um, not all rookies even do well as Greg Newsom has done. So I think we should mention that. Uh, he missed significant time in camp with injuries again, and obviously he was still recovering for much of the offseason from last season's injury. Uh, but that's where he is through six games. He's at the bottom. He's been responsible for one touchdown in coverage. So obviously, Delpit's performance so far hasn't really been a noticeable upgrade from either guy you had in that role last year. Uh, I, got a, Creedy- I, got a, I got a plan, by the way. You want, I got a oh, plan yeah. that will drop on us, by the way, at some point. Yeah. I, got a, I got a whole JOK how to replace JOK plan. Cause I don't know what they're going to do, but this isn't their podcast. This is our podcast. <laughs> so keep, keep going. But before we get to the old guys, finish up the new guys, I'll get, right. I'll give you my plan. And, I, and I'll mention, we'll, we'll wrap up this, this uh, part here with JOK too. He'll be mentioned. So um, Greedy Williams though, he's, he has the third best coverage grade on the team, 76.2 and best among cornerbacks on the team. Now, it was just 38.1 against the Cardinals, did not have a great game, but he topped 80 in grading three straight weeks prior to that, including back-to-back starts against the Vikings and Chargers. Currently ranks 12th in coverage grade among all NFL cornerbacks. He was second on that list before the Cardinals game. So any concerns about Greedy Williams? Uh, he certainly answered those in the limited time that he's gotten and definitely in the, in the starts that he's gotten. Uh, the other guy who's had his spot, Greg Newsom, like everybody else, he struggled against Cardinals, but his coverage grade through first three weeks before the injury was 70.3, which ranked 28th among NFL corners. That's great for a rookie. Uh, he was only targeted seven times. I think we talked about in all our podcasts about how little he was being targeted, just seven targets over the first three games, which was somewhat surprising. He only gave up four catches for 24 yards and had two pass breakups over that stretch. Like if you hold up Greedy and Newsom to Terrence Mitchell last season, Terrence Mitchell, 63.4 coverage grade, had a passer rating over 100 against him. Greedy comes out ahead of that. Newsom, at least grading-wise, comes out about the same. Mitchell obviously saw a ton more targets 
than Newsom did. Uh, Mitchell saw almost five, actually more than five per game. Newsom is right at two per game so far. So I think you're probably looking at Newsom in a much better light than you did Terrence Mitchell. Uh, the fact that quarterbacks are not attacking him the way I think maybe some people would expect quarterbacks to attack a rookie is, is good news for the Browns. Um, we'll wrap up here with, with linebackers. And I kind of put JOK and Anthony Walker together. Uh, we all know JOK was having a great season. He was in the conversation for defensive rookie of the year, landed on IR this week with the ankle injury. Uh, he had the second best coverage grade on the team, 77.3. That was fourth among linebackers. Uh, and he, he had four pass breakups. That was the most of any linebacker in the league. Uh, he's obviously giving the Browns much more than they got from Mac Wilson last season and even more than they got from Malcolm Smith, who ranked seventh in coverage grade last season among linebackers. So uh, that was kind of uh, unexpected that you would get an even higher performance out of him through at least this point in the season. I mean, Joe Woods, how, much, how many times have he mentioned, we don't want to put too much on his plate. We want to give him uh, just enough so he can still play fast and not have to think about it and, I mean, their plan has obviously worked. It's unfortunate that he's landed on, on IR. Uh, as for Walker, he was replacing B.J. Goodson, so the bar wasn't really high when it came to coverage. But he ranks 18th among all linebackers in coverage grade, 68.1. And that's about where Goodson ended last season. He was like 66.6. This is why the Browns have been better against the pass in the middle of the field this season. Last year, they ranked 17th in DVOA on short passes over the middle. They were just – they were also just – just below the league average. So they were pretty average in you know, ranking and, and just percentage-wise. This year, they are first in DVOA on those short passes over the middle. And that goes back to what we said earlier about tight ends and the Browns doing so well against them. It's just the addition of JLK especially and then uh, Malcolm Smith playing well when Walker was out and then Walker's uh, contribution there has just really done wonders for the middle of the field for the Browns defense. All right, you want my plan here? I want your plan. So all offseason, right, everybody was excited about the uh, the three safety looks that the Browns could give people with Ronnie Harrison, Grant Delpit, and John Johnson III. And I know I was looking at PFF. Someone from PFF tweeted this out. The Cardinals played four receivers 43% of the time on Sunday when they had only done that 22% of the time coming yeah. into the game. So that was something they clearly liked to match up there. And there was definitely one of the third down conversions that I noted they had four receivers lined up on the same side of the field and you had everybody in man coverage and they wound up with John Johnson, the third on Rondale Moore and Rondale Moore chipped on the, on the edge rusher and then went out in the flat and John Johnson just got caught in the wash. He was like, he bit a little bit inside on the block. And then when Rondale Moore went outside, well, that's not, you know, that's John Johnson. The third, he's not a corner. He's a safety, but he's yeah. matched up on like the fastest guy on the field. That's a matchup the Cardinals like. They converted a third and nine by flipping the ball to him and letting him run. And John Johnson, the third, couldn't get there. So in that game, when you look at the snaps, they based, they clearly had their starting 11 guys on Sunday. They played the four defensive linemen, Malik Jackson, Malik McDowell, Jadavion Clowney, and Miles Garrett. And they subbed in a little bit for those guys. They played three corners. Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, and Troy Hill in the slot played almost the whole game. They played John Johnson the third and Ronnie Harrison at safety, and they played Anthony Walker and Jeremiah Wusu-Kormo at linebacker. And those were the 11 guys. They got subbed in a little bit, but they were – there's a clear dividing line. Like the 11th guy there had 46 snaps, and the 12th guy had like 26, okay? If you're playing – and I understand it was an offense that played four receivers a lot, but let's just say you're playing kind of a spread offense. They're going to play more of those. Who would you put on the field as the second linebacker instead of Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa while he's out? Is it Malcolm Smith? You can't put Taki Taki in those situations. I don't think we're heading to Mac Wilson. Here's what I would do. I would make John Johnson the third basically a linebacker. Who is the player on this roster who can most replicate what Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa was doing? Did you see the play where he deflected the ball by jumping 15 feet in the air? Looked like he was on a trampoline. He's a special guy. John Johnson, the third, he was getting asked questions. You were more in the box last year. He's way more free safety. You bring, make him a glorified linebacker. And then Delpit and Harrison are your deep safeties. And this is your three safety. Look, it's a three corner, three safety, one linebacker. Look, 
But basically, John Johnson III is playing linebacker. He's in the box doing JOK things. He's 12 pounds lighter than JOK. I get it. If you're playing Derrick Henry, that's probably not going to work. But if you're looking for, we're taking one of our best, he's been unbelievable, the most dynamic guy in the back seven off the field. Who, who can we replace him with? I'd rather have that be Grant Delpit getting those snaps than any linebacker. But I don't want Grant Delpit in JOK's role, slide John Johnson down, but that's how you fill the hole. Does any of that, especially against an offense that's going to spread you out and throw it, does any of that make sense? Or do they just have to put Malcolm Smith or Mac Wilson out there and cross their fingers and hope they can be 30% of JOK? That makes sense. Um, I think judging by how the safeties have been used, Ronnie Harrison might, they might think he, about putting him in the box first, although he's Johnson been in the box much more than against, Johnson. Yeah, yeah. This year, but Johnson's played better against the run for sure. Um, I would not be surprised at all if, if they just go with Malcolm Smith and just ride with that. But yeah, that's, that makes, there's a lot of logic in that plan. Because I think you you would make you would take a negative because JOK being out is of course a negative, but you would get a little positive out of it, which I think is bringing John Johnson the third closer to the line of scrimmage more often and letting him do his thing a little bit more. And I get it, not every snap, mix and match a little bit. Okay, if you know if it's a if it's third and two, okay, I get it. He's not going to be playing linebacker then. I just think there's some opportunity there for playmaking in space. And that we've seen JOK track down tight ends and track down running backs and and make plays in the open field. And I just think John Johnson the third is the guy most likely to do that. And and it might it might kickstart him a little bit to get him closer to the line of scrimmage at least some of the time. Yeah, and we've seen teams over the last couple of years kind of go to things like this. It's been more against more against really pass heavy offenses. I don't know if. I mean, I don't think the Broncos necessarily call for that, but uh, the like the the Chargers against the Ravens a couple years ago in the playoffs um, had a bunch of defensive backs and safeties on the field, and they moved them in, basically became linebackers. Uh, and the Chiefs against the Bills, I believe, last season kind of went heavy with with some safeties. Um, so yeah, I mean, it makes sense, and and you keep in theory your more of your best players on the field. Um, yeah. Even though, you know, Ronnie Harrison is playing up to, to what he was, but, uh, but yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. One thing that that stat you had about uh, the percent snaps, the Cardinals used the four receivers that, that kind of stuck with me. I went and I looked up uh, actually on sharp football. Um, <clears throat> I think they had him at like 38% of their snaps. They used that against the Browns. The Browns had faced seven snaps with four receivers over the first five weeks. Oh, wow. And then there was like, what, 26 by the Cardinals. But think the Cardinals, when they threw out of that formation, 70% success rate, they were nine of 10 with three touchdowns. So I'm sure teams preparing for the Browns are going to take note of that, especially with, with JOK out. Yeah, they saw matchups they thought they could win. And listen, not many teams are going to have four dynamic receivers that they could put on the field the way the, the Cardinals could put. A.J. Yeah. Green, DeAndre Hopkins, Rondale Moore, and Christian Kirk out there. So that is not – the Browns don't have to be panicked because they can't cover four you just need, sets. You just need the one mismatch, though, you know? Well, that's – and you could see multiple times, again, the idea that it wasn't just clueless Keystone Cops disaster every snap. You could yeah. see the times where it was like, that guy's covered, that guy's covered, that guy's covered, that guy's not covered. You could see that happening, and so I do think – some degree of the Browns failures on Sunday was the Cardinals with a very specific sort of roster taking advantage of mismatches. And if the Browns are do are covering three or four guys, each snap, and there's one guy they're not covering Kyler found it, and that's football. So it's not an excuse, but again, it wasn't like the Browns just didn't know what to do at all. They took advantage of some things. And that's the thing. John Johnson's the third is a very good football player. Rondale Moore on John Johnson the third is a matchup the Cardinals will take all day. And they yeah. made it happen on third down and they got an easy, easy conversion out of it. All right, mm -hmm. let's talk about some of the familiar guys. I know Denzel Ward's going to be in here. How are they doing when it comes to uh, defending the pass? 
Right. So, I mean, it was hit and miss on improvement from the new guys in terms of coverage and the new safeties have really not provided a significant improvement over what the Browns had last year, at least through these first six games. Um, but as far as returners go, we're going to start with Ronnie Harrison. Um, he ended last season with the second best defensive grade on the team behind Miles Garrett. I think we, at one point over the offseason, we ranked players on this, I think maybe defensive players. I mean, I, I put him right up there behind, behind Miles Garrett because he was so consistent last season. It was kind of a surprise, even in, because he was such a late addition and it was kind of an emergency thing. But he ranked 15th in coverage grade among all NFL safeties last season, uh, 74.4. <clears throat> and if you've seen the last couple of games, you know where this is going. <laughs> He could really use a reset button about now. He tossed, he was tossed in week one, suffered the injury two snaps into week four. Then really outside of the Bears game where everybody looked good, he had a passer rating against of 140 or higher in each of the other three games that he started this season. He's been tagged with five touchdowns in coverage. And the one we talked about earlier for DeAndre Hopkins, the back of the end zone was, was one of them. And, and that's really where, where it's come down to. It's not so much that he's getting beat down the field and the guy catches the ball over him. It's an assignment thing. So four of those touchdowns have come over the last two games <clears throat> that he's been uh, held responsible for uh, by PFF grading. His coverage grade this season, 53. Uh, again, the last season it was 74. Uh, he's basically having the worst season of his career, uh, which isn't it's only a few seasons in, but still in terms of where he's lining up, his role hasn't really changed from last season. It's not like John Johnson, the third, who's, who's kind of got a different vantage point for, for a lot of these snaps. He's still getting the majority of his snaps closer to the line of scrimmage. Harrison is, uh, but he's also performing worse against the run. So uh, his missed tackle rate has gone from 8.5 last season to 14.3 this season. So it's just been a struggle all the way around, um, which is weird because I mean, he's one of the guys who, who mostly was there throughout the offseason. He wasn't over on the bikes. Um, he was there with John Johnson. Obviously, they didn't play much in the preseason games, but uh, it's just kind of surprising the way this has started off. And it goes back to the little communication thing. Yeah, he was here, but he's also playing with somebody entirely new on the back end of the defense, and we're not sure how much that plays into the seasons he has, he's having so far. I'm, I'm going to put on my psychologist's hat here briefly and explain why Maybe I'm not shocked by this last year. He was one of the best players on a bad defense and they basically got rid of everybody else except Ronnie Harrison, Denzel Ward and miles Garrett. <laughs> now he is surrounded by more talent. And I think he probably might be very interested in showing everybody that he's just as talented as all these new guys. And the best way to do that is to make plays. And to me, Deandre Hopkins in the back of the end zone by himself is is that he's coming up trying to make a play hey here comes a crosser i'm gonna come up on him and maybe get a pick because kyler doesn't expect me to be there or maybe blow this guy up or i'll save the day because it looks like maybe my teammate is trailing in coverage a little bit and you just blow off your job and i can understand He'd like to get paid. He wasn't what he doesn't want to get lost. He doesn't want to go from the third best player on the defense to the 10th best player on the defense. And the result is a good solid player who ideally he should be the 10th best player on the defense. Cause that's how a defense gets better. Remember the guy who was our third best player. Now he's our 10th best player. That's how yeah. much better we got. I think he might be in his own head trying to make plays and again, I feel like there are enough guys, no, but no Brown this week called out Ronnie Harrison by name, but there's all the things that you can see. It's like, well, it's Ronnie Harrison. Everybody knows it. They're just being nice. I think he might, whenever Browns and the, and the defensive guys are talking about this, guys just need to do their job and stop trying to make plays. He's exhibit one of the exhibit, exhibit a guys to me of yeah. that perhaps permeating the defense in a way that is not great, but is fixable because you know what's embarrassing leaving DeAndre Hopkins alone by 10 yards in the back of the end zone and having everybody know mostly nobody, he doesn't care what we think. Everybody in that locker room knows you blew your assignment. I think that might be a great motivation to do your assignment. So I'm on alert for a return of Ronnie Harrison, solid do your job guy, which is why he was so valuable last year. You're not a psychologist either. What do you think? 
I think it's unfortunate that we haven't been able to hear from Ronnie Harrison. I don't know how many people listening know this, but prior to COVID, we go in the locker rooms after the games, we go in the locker rooms after practices. And while the team would make certain players available in front of the microphone with the, you know, the Browns sponsored background and everything, you can walk up to anybody you want in the locker room and talk to them. That's not the case anymore. Um, the Browns will bring out the players they want to bring out to, for you to talk to you request people for one-on-ones. But uh, aside from that, you're not getting a bunch of people talking to basically whoever they want. Uh, so I guess it would be interesting to hear what Harrison has to say about the last couple of games. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure when that's going to happen though. So I, I do think it's obvious that he's a big part of these big plays that people point to and, and things that are breaking down. And you could be onto something with wanting to make a play. Um, I mean, that's kind of what Johnson kind of alluded to when you asked him about what happened on the head play. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I mean, I'll go along with that theory. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, that's it. I just need one person. It, when it's just one person, it's a harebrained idea. But once another person agrees with you, then it's a theory. We now have a Ronnie Harrison theory that we can be on alert for. Uh, right. Listeners have got to watch the tape. Right, right. All right. So Denzel Ward, Ward's coverage grade has gone down. It was 73.2 last year at 60.8 this year. Also, receivers are catching 64% of their targets against him compared to just 55% last season. But his passer rating against is in the same ballpark, like 87.4, 91. It's kind of very close. Uh, And he has yet to give up a touchdown in coverage this season. Remember, he gave up six last year, including four over the first six games. And he was a he was a big topic of conversation last year over that stretch. Uh, people were wondering what was going on with the Browns quote unquote shutdown corner. Um, I look at the coverage issues on this team though, and I don't come away feeling like Ward is an issue or even a significant part of the issue, even though his coverage grade is down compared to last season. Um, I mentioned the Browns issues covering number one receivers earlier on this podcast, but Again, Ward isn't always covering those guys. For example, on Sunday, it was Greg Newsom who lost track of DeAndre Hopkins on that 33-yard reception. The Browns do play a lot of zone. So, you know, on the touchdown to Hopkins, it was Ward on him at the line of scrimmage, obviously. But then once Hopkins leaves his zone, it's not his responsibility anymore. You know, I just – Ward obviously isn't playing at the level he has previously, but I don't see him as, as the big issue. Do you? No, and I thought Denzel, when we when he spoke after the game, I mean, he said something like, hey, I'm covering my guy, just like I always have, right? I, I To paraphrase, he was a little, uh, I had a little edge to him because he got two pass interference calls that mm. I thought at least one was pretty iffy. And even the second one, I guess he was sort of pinning a guy on the sideline and not letting him make a play. But it's not like he tackled the guy. And then I did think later in the game, there was a throw that the Browns had to Odell where like Odell, like couldn't raise his arms to try to catch the ball because the Cardinals guy was grabbing his arms and that wasn't pass interference. And so, you know, I don't love talking about the officials. I do think the Browns have kind of gotten screwed by the officials the last two weeks. I think they lost the chargers game because of that Mike Williams call. But I also thought there was some weird stuff. I mean, the past, the two, Roughing the passer penalties. The Joe Jackson one was the worst roughing the passer penalty anyone's ever seen in the history of the NFL. And then the one with Malik McDowell on the sideline, the announcers thought that was iffy too. So like, I do think again, to paraphrase, I do think they are being screwed by the officials. If that's the, if that's the correct way that you would describe that probably not in print, but on a podcast, (laughs) I do think the Browns are being screwed by the officials. And I think Denzel felt that. And I don't think Denzel is getting smoked. I think Denzel is there like fighting for stuff. I think he has a good handle on what's happening. You don't win every battle. And then like, I do think it's not his, but it's like, listen, he, it was cover two. He had DeAndre Hopkins off the line. He let him go and nobody was there. He didn't say this, but I think a little bit of it is like, let's be clear. That wasn't me. (laughs) Like I did what I was supposed to do. I didn't forget to cover him the last 12 yards for anybody who doesn't understand what the read was there. So I I don't think he's getting smoked. He's losing some battles. I think he's getting some tough calls against him, but I agree with you. I don't, I'm not throwing, you know, uh, I'm not putting an alarm on about Denzel Ward's coverage this year. 
Yeah, I think when you're in close games or games where you're trying to hang with another high scoring team and it's so you don't have to say, you know, they lost the game because of the officiating, but it's okay to say that those games, those calls were had huge impacts and they were debatable. I think it's okay to say that because a lot of calls are debatable and we have the advantage of slow motion replay and we're not making that call in the heat of the moment. Um, but I think and Baker alluded to this and some other guys alluded to this, you know, if you don't want those calls to have such a big impact, don't put yourself in that situation to begin with. And, you know, but that's where they found themselves, especially over the last two weeks. They're actually third in defensive pass interference penalties called on them this season. They have seven now. So that's something to keep track of as we go forward, but it's not something you want to be leading the league in. So, yeah, that's worth saying. And I do think it's even one of those. I just, I mean, I wish I'd love to go watch film with the assistant coaches, even like that Greg Newsom 33 yard catch I th- that I think we're referencing. I think it was one where the receiver ran from one side of the field to the other and sort of ran into Greg Newsom's zone and Greg Newsom was going with somebody else. And then he had to come off that receiver. And it was like, he got put in a bind a little bit because there were kind of two receivers in his area of responsibility at the same time. And he was a little late to get off it, but also you've got to get to the quarterback before a receiver can run all the way across the field, right? There's some stuff there that I did think some of these that you were the closest defender to the play. I thought the Cardinals successfully put defenders in binds at time at times because either the Browns didn't get there with their pass rush or they got there and Kyler got out of it. And when you let a guy run 53 and a half yards from one sideline to the other, there's a decent chance that at some point he's going to be open in doing so. And I thought the Cardinals hit some big plays doing that against the Browns. I do think the roughing uh, against Malik McDowell was like a Shaq foul. It was like Steph Curry running into Shaq, Steph Curry falling down because, you know, Shaq's so big. And then he gets the call. I think yeah. you know, that was just whatever. But anyway, so the last guy I want to mention here real quick is Malcolm Smith because he started three games when Walker was out. And I mentioned how he finished uh, seventh in the league in coverage among linebackers last season. He leads the Browns in coverage grade right now, 79.8, uh, a bit higher than he was even last year. And that's all based on pretty much three games because he gave up those two touchdowns to Travis Kelsey on just 17 snaps in week one. And he played only three snaps against the Cardinals on Sunday. But for a guy to come in when they needed him to, uh, he was not uh, a problem at all when it came when it came to coverage. And then other guys like Mac Wilson, Taki Taki, MJ Stewart, AJ Green. I'm not going to get into them because they played so little this season, like under 25% of the snaps overall. But I think as far as uh, the guys coming back, Harrison's the big takeaway here from from this group of of returning players, uh, and you know who isn't, I guess, living up to are coming close even to what they were last year. Um, Malcolm Smith is really a guy to keep an eye on because you're probably right. He probably is the first answer to the loss of JOK. But to be clear, the Browns had reached the point where when they had all their linebackers, they were going to play two of them every snap. They were going to play Anthony Walker and JOK, and that was it. Like there's not really a role for anybody else. Maybe Sione Takitaki is in on short yardage, but they were only playing two, and it was those two. And that was it. So this is not a rotation. That's the point that JOK as a rookie had reached. And that's how valuable is Anthony Walker is to holding every piece of this defense together in the middle. And so Malcolm Smith did like an okay job while Walker was out, but that's how big of a loss JOK is because he is an absolute every down playmaker impact defensive player as a rookie. And they, they can't make up for that with one guy. I don't think I can't believe in the end, Scott, that it's like, well, those 70 JOK snaps, they're Malcolm Smith snaps now. I just don't think it can be that. I think they have to mix and match with some extra safety stuff, with trying to find, well, here's Mac Wilson for a couple. Here's Taki Taki for a couple. I don't know. I, I just think they've got to get creative because he's a, he's a one-man creative experience, right? I mean, he's like throwing paint at the canvas on his own, and now you need three or four people throwing paint at the canvas because that guy makes works of art every Sunday and he's gone for at least three games. Well, yeah. Last year, the Browns played more linebackers, gave more snaps to more linebackers and everybody, I think, except the Eagles. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I did look it up. Uh, 
like prior to the draft when everybody was talking linebacker. So they, you're right. And you don't, uh, JOK solved a lot of that. He yep. made it so they didn't have to do that. So if, when he's out, it's not like they're just going to say, all right, we're just going to go with one guy. They're going back to what they did before, most likely, and rotating people in. Although your uh, your JJ3 uh, idea has a, makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I with that. It's always one of those things, whenever any football team talks about rotating guys, it's like, oh, cool, you're going to rotate guys. You know what I like to do? Find one awesome player and play him every snap. <laughs> that's my rotation. The excellent guy all the time. And that's what JOK was, and that's we're gonna, what they're going to miss without JOK for at least the next three games while he is on IR uh, with this high ankle sprain. All right, one thing we like to do, uh, in this version of got to watch the tape as we go forward. And I like it a lot because we don't want to be stuck in the past. We're always trying to figure out what the past is telling us about the future. And Scott, I think your numbers do a great job of that, but you're going to give us a little good news, bad news about the Thursday night game against the Broncos next on got to watch the tape. Doug and Scott back with some good news, bad news, but first kind of a little, little bow on this uh, defensive second kind of pass defense discussion, Scott, because pressure is part of it too. Yeah. I want to end with this observation because we pointed the finger at a lot of folks here in the secondary. Uh, Miles Garrett said on Sunday that the defensive issues aren't just one thing. And he wasn't the only guy who said that. I think Stefanski pointed that out too. He, he, but Miles Garrett said, you know, when the pass rush isn't there, the coverage pass rush is there. The coverage isn't when the coverage is the pass rush isn't. In other words, consistency has been an issue. And it's not the first time that he's actually said that. Uh, he was saying it after the first couple of games as well. So with that in mind, I did want to point out a few things. Week three, Justin Fields was under pressure 53% of the time. He completed only 30% of his passes. A week later, Kirk Cousins, under pressure, again, 53% of the time, completed just 52% of his passes. Week five, Justin Herbert, under pressure only 25% of the time, completed 60% of his passes through four touchdowns. This past week, Kyler Murray, under pressure 34% of the time, completed 67% of his passes through four touchdowns. So, you know, it's, it's not hard to look at those four games and see the pressure rates and, and understand how the back end, how that impacted the back end as well. You know, you're getting pressure on somebody that's going to make life difficult. Um, again, they go hand in hand. It's not just they got to get pressure to make everything work. It's It's, you know. The back end covers, and then they give more, they give the line more time. They get more pressure. But I thought it was uh, a little bit insightful to see the pressure numbers of those Bears and Vikings games versus the last two because they've been so different. They, they Clowney and Garrett had a meet at the quarterback moment against Kyler on Sunday, but I think they had one. And it, when they did it, it looked so easy. They both destroyed the tackles on the same play. And it was like, why isn't that happening every single play? And I think there was a moment where Clowney got good pressure and sort of penned Kyler Murray in and didn't just go right for the sack and made sure he wasn't going to, you know, let him break contain and get outside the pocket. It was just like, wow, that was a really smart veteran pass rush there. But like it, it felt like it didn't happen enough. So I do mm-hmm. think that, you know, if you're going to be Miles Garrett, you need to be ideally and Jadavion Clowney and the two Maliks, they, they need to be more disruptive on a snap-to-snap basis against a great quarterback like Kyler Murray than they were on Sunday. Just like I said, if you're running a, a, a long-developing route like that that puts a defense in a bind, you've got to make sure it doesn't happen. I think there was one early, though. I think Miles' pressure did prevent maybe a deep pass early in the game when it looked like something was there, that somebody was beat down the field. So we, it, it's great when it does happen. I think, it, we, I think they would agree that in a game like that, it needs to happen more than it did, 34% of his dropbacks under pressure, whatever it was, is, is not good enough. Yeah. I mean, it's against a quarterback. You're not going to see again until you, unless you reach him in the Super Bowl, and you're not going to see anybody like him until, you know, week 12 and right. what 14 this year. So. Yeah. Okay. So Denver's coming Thursday night, short week. What's the good news and what's the bad news and which one you want to start with? We'll start with bad news. Cause you know, I know you got, you want to end with on a good note. Yes. <laughs> you made a whole thing out of it last week. So uh, <clears throat> bad news. Teddy Bridgewater, who off the top, we should say, was limited this week in practice after he got his foot stepped on uh, in the game on Sunday, but he is expecting to play. He's completing over 70% of his passes, and he's not just dumping off short passes. His average depth of target is 10 yards, which ranks fourth among regular starters. He has attempted 33 passes of 20 yards or more, which ranks third. 
He's got one more of those than Josh Allen, who we all think of as a, a deep ball guy. Uh, he's not exactly burning it up on deep passes, though, completing just 33% of his throws of 20 yards or more. That's basically right where Baker Mayfield is, and we covered all his deep ball issues last week. But still, for a defense that has struggled against these types of things, um, it's you got to be on alert because he's certainly going to keep taking his, his shots deep. Uh, he's been under pressure on 39% of his dropbacks this season, which ranks eighth. Uh, but he ranks first in completion percentage under pressure. We thought Kyler Murray was good under pressure. Teddy Bridgewater has been even better. He's completed 64% of his passes, four touchdowns, no picks under pressure this year. Uh, experience matters, clearly. The Broncos rank second against the run in PFF grading. Uh, that's as a team. Uh, DVOA, I think, is a better measurement for something like that. And they have the Broncos ranked 20th against the run, but they're still 10%. 10 percentage points above the league average. So uh, that's not good news for a team that's going to be starting Dernis Johnson in the backfield. And we still don't know exactly what the tackle situation is. So that's the bad news. Good news. Bridgewater over the last three games, which are all losses, ranks 27th in PFF grade. He's completed only 64% of his passes. They played the Jets, Giants, and Jaguars to start the year. Um and then they, they've, they've lost three straight since then. Uh, he has thrown six touchdowns, four picks over that three-game stretch. Um, even better news is that the Broncos ranked 21st against the pass and are 18 percentage points below the league average in DVOA. So uh, no matter who's thrown, if it's one-armed, half-arm one, half Baker Mayfield or Case Keenum, uh, that, that certainly bodes well. Uh, the Broncos also ranked 23rd in explosive plays. That's as an offense, so that's good news for, for the Browns' secondary. Again, they'll take their shots, but they just haven't been completing them. So if they're all on the same page, they fix the technique issues, the communication issues, and all those things that, that the Browns have talked about over the last couple of weeks. Um, they're going against a team that doesn't isn't very efficient when it comes to passing the ball deep. And I do, it's worth noting, they've got a couple fast guys. K.J. Hamler from Penn State, out for the year fast slot guy and then jerry judy super fast alabama guy number one uh first round pick a couple years ago he's been out vic fangio the denver coach said this week he might be back for thursday but i think he said less than a 50 percent chance in his mind so i think that is something to monitor uh for for listeners here jerry judy playing would be quite a lift he's he wouldn't be himself yet but would be a lift for this denver offense but this could be you know those numbers scott they were they kind of went after it in the draft to try to get to be one of those teams that can beat you deep, and then their guys got hurt. Their fast guys got hurt. Yeah, I think the only the only real good news, bad news that Browns fans should care about is what that injury report looks like. Yeah, for uh, real. And, and who's active uh, on Thursday because like the, uh, we we won't have any availability tomorrow. I don't know if the Browns are just having a walkthrough tomorrow, or I guess but today by the time you're hearing this Wednesday, uh, but Thursday then, uh, you know are your tackles playing? Um, we know the running back situation uh, is Baker playing. It's, you know, everything the Browns is have o, on is Odell is, playing is Jarvis playing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's just a lot of question marks. It might be case Keenum throwing a bunch of dump off passes to tight ends <laughs> for uh, trying to piece together a drive. And it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be rough. I will say, uh, it is possible that the Browns will need Demetric Felton to save them on Thursday. And I don't say that jokingly in terms of like playmaker, especially if Odell can't go, we don't know if Jarvis is going to be back or not. The idea that they would have a guy taken that late in the draft who could be that explosive and special. He's going to be a primary part of the offense on Thursday night. And then the other guy is Donovan people's Jones, who again, yeah. I was a little skeptical of on him coming into the year he looks like a guy who gets is more ready every week for a bigger role and I think is ready to handle it. Anthony Schwartz is not ready to handle it yet. Anthony Schwartz, again, remains a track guy and not an NFL football player, which is fine. They have to get him there. He's not going to get there this year. But Donovan Peoples-Jones and Demetric Felton might have to carry this offense on Thursday night, no matter who the quarterback is. And I think, Scott, they have a chance to do it. Not at a Super Bowl level, but at a do enough to beat the Denver Broncos at home level, it's quite a thing to have a rookie and a second year player taken that late in the draft who might be able to step up 
and uh, and make big plays for the Browns. It's incredible when you look at the games that they lost last year, um, just in the regular season. They lost three games that most people figured that they, they were not favored to win, right? Both Baltimore games and the Steelers game. The other two games they lost, uh, the, the Raiders game, they did not have Nick Chubb. Our white teller in that game, I believe. Correct. Yep. And the other game was the Jets game where COVID hit and no wide receivers. And it was just a mess. I came into this season. You figure they're going to lose to somebody that they shouldn't. Right. Yep. They haven't done that yet, but this game, they should beat the Broncos and they're dealing with all these unknowns and they're going to go in with, it's, it, you know, almost as big of a mess as that Jets game was. And this could be that game where, they lose a game they weren't supposed to. And it really isn't because they got beat. It's because they just, they didn't have the depth and they didn't have the people they needed to have on the field. Yeah. I mean, potentially that's like eight of your best offensive players that you're iffy about going into a Thursday night game on a short week. That's a tough place to be. We will cover that even more uh, in the Thursday pod where we'll, we'll preview the game. You and I will be on with Dan and Mary Kay. So we'll do that and give you guys what we think is going to happen. We appreciate you making got to watch the tape, uh, got to watch the tape part of your Browns week. It's Wednesday this week because of the short week, obviously. Um, but we're glad you're here with us. So for Scott Patsco, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on got to watch the tape.